there. I'm Kimberly Hayes Day Muga. And I'm Amanda Day. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to Season 2 of the Fundraising Heyday Podcast. We are a dynamic duo bringing you insight and knowledge into the ever-evolving world of grants, development, and fundraising. Full disclosure to our listeners, though, we're so Southern. Don't let that scare you. <laughs> you might hear a y'all. It happens. Mm-hmm. This podcast is brought to you by Season 2 sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. Don't let grants stress you out. Their team can help you with grant readiness and training, grant research, grant writing, and grant mock review. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com to learn more. Now, we have a fabulous guest joining us today and a very exciting topic as well. We sure do. Today, we are talking about what it's like to be on the other side of the grant proposal as a grant reviewer. Some people refer to it as peer reviewer. Other people refer to it as a whole lot of work that you have to do in addition to your regular (laughs) job. But we're going to get into all of that, and we are so fortunate to have Erica Harney joining us for today's topic. That's right. Erica is a longtime friend and grant colleague of ours. And I swear, this girl has more letters (laughs) after her name than most of us have in our full name. Sit tight. Here it comes. Okay. So Erica is a GPC. Mm Mm-hmm. CFRE, Mm -hmm. CAE, and a CVA, Mm -hmm. as well as an approved trainer for the Grant Professionals Association and a doctoral candidate. Erica is joining us on Skype today. So welcome, Erica. Why don't you take a minute and tell us a little bit more about your overachieving self? All right. So thanks for having me on. Um, I'm excited to to talk about grant review stuff with you all. But um, so just a little bit about me. so I'm going uh, into or am already in my 19th year in working in the nonprofit world. Because um, you started when you were 10, right? Exactly. Oh, That's yeah. exactly like what yeah. <laughs> um, I actually wrote my first grant as a volunteer. So um, and I often tell grant folks, don't really give your grant writing to volunteers. Um, except <laughs> I'm, I don't live by that rule, apparently. Um, and, um, and then I also get the question of, well, okay, when you were like 10, is this what you woke up one morning and said, you know, this is what you're going to do for a career. And I say yes and no. in that, um, when I was going to college and everything, I was like, you know, I'm, I think what I really would like to do is become an executive director. And, and so I looked at all of the different kind of facets that an executive director needs to know and understand and, um, and looked up to, you know, kind of EDs that were in the nonprofit community in Lexington that I looked up to. And so I started down paths of fundraising and grant writing mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. eventually volunteer management and all that kind of stuff. So I was very intentional about all that kind of stuff. Um, so now I'm an executive director in recovery and, <laughs> um, <laughs> and teaching other people how to write, write grant applications. And as a part of writing those grant applications, I know that you have served as a peer reviewer many different times. And then you've also presented workshops on how to be a peer reviewer, particularly for federal grants. So I'd love for us to start off by talking about the kinds, maybe the kinds of programs that you've uh, reviewed for before as a grant reviewer. Sure. So um, at least on the federal um, level, I, so health and human services, as many folks will know, is a massive, massive department. Mm -hmm. And so under health and human services, I've reviewed for, um, the administration for children and families. Mm -hmm. And, um, 
I think some of the programs that I did under that are now uh, no longer there, but the job opportunities for low-income individuals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, then uh, U.S. Department of Education uh, reviewed for um, Hispanic-serving institutions and um, the Corporation for National Community Service, um, mm -hmm. which is a federal agency, even though it doesn't sound like it. Um, terrible name, but uh, <laughs> reviewed for their um, social innovation fund when they started doing those large grants. Okay. Uh, reviewed for them as well. And um, I know I'm forgetting one now, but um, then also at the state level, uh, reviewed or was asked to review for Kentucky Department of Education mm -hmm. and then just finished up a review for Ohio Department of Education. Um, and then some other, other private funding stuff, but those are the biggies was health and human services, education and CNCS. Very good. Well, you clearly have a wide variety of experience for those that are interested in being a peer reviewer. What experience is typically required and how do you sign up? Cause I, I know you are not a, you know, you're not a teacher, but you've done grants for the department of education. So how does all that work? Exactly. So all of it is really based on, so what I tell people is go on and make a list or at least update your resume and then look at the types of areas that your work is in and then identify the federal agencies that kind of match up to that. So um, even though like I am not um, say a social worker, I am on the list for SAMHSA mm -hmm. to be able to review for them strictly from the perspective that I managed a treatment program, but did not manage clients or their process. Okay. Um, then and for those, I would say jump in too, for folks who may not have heard of SAMHSA, if I remember correctly, that's Substance Abuse and Mental Health Administration. Is that right? Or what's that last A stand yeah, for? Yeah, something to that effect. Yeah. Okay. Mental Health and Substance Abuse. <laughs> Acronyms. Always, we're so good at them. <laughs> I always get that acronym wrong and I should know better, but I don't. I can't remember it. Um, yeah. So Mental Health and Substance Abuse. Sure. That's um, so really it's, it's knowing... Uh, what kind of grant applications or opportunities are out there on the writing side and then going and looking at where they're looking for grant reviewers. So there is a little bit of homework and a little bit of digging to figure out kind of which federal agency has grant reviewer, peer reviewer opportunities available. Um, and so you just have to go on and of course, we all know like the federal government doesn't, you know, doesn't want to make it easy on us. So you have to go to each <laughs> of the individual departments and search for their grant reviewer or peer reviewer uh, within their website. Um, usually once you get onto um, a potential reviewer pool uh, in general, like the program folks have your name as somebody who would be interested in reviewing for grants, they put you on the mailing list and they let you know when something's up and, and see who one is available and two is qualified. Cause I've gotten, several SAMHSA like emails and I look at like what they're the areas of expertise that they're looking for. And I'm like, that's not me. Um, when they're looking for like folks with social work or right, psychology right. backgrounds, but also I can share that with other people that I know have that experience. Mm -hmm. So, um, it's really going to depend on, on what you've done, what it matches up with federal wise or even state, uh, statewide. And, um, just getting in the queue for things. Right. Um, and I'll tell you, I know I've looked a couple of times before and sometimes they are, I hate to say generic, but sometimes it's just kind of like, like I've reviewed before on the state level and it's just really, as long as somebody can read an application, follow directions, follow the scoring rubric yeah. and those kinds of things, that's, that's, that's what they're looking for versus 
um, technical you know, very, knowledge, like yes, in-depth technical like knowledge. Like you have worked in yeah. this field exactly before kind mm-hmm. of yeah. thing. So it is and kind of depends. It is kind of nebulous. Yeah, it all depends. And I, SAMHSA is really the only one that I know of that has been looking for specific experience in some of their reviews. And then others um, has been just all over the place who ends up on um, panels that I've reviewed with has just been mm-hmm. all over the place. So uh, and very generic. So it's just going to depend. And that's always the answer in grant writing. <laughs> yeah. It just depends. It depends. And <laughs> life in general, I think. Yeah. It, just, it, it all just depends. depends. That's true. Okay. So now we've kind of discussed how you sign up for this. Let's take some time to discuss all why depends. anybody would actually want to sign up for this mm-hmm. job. Because for most of us, you know, we're doing this in addition to our day job. Um, so what's yeah. the benefits of being a reviewer when you're having to do it nights and weekends sure. kind of a thing? Yeah. Yeah. And definitely when I first started to, it was, well, and it still really isn't, you know, a huge part, um, of like my, as a consultant, my book of business, if you will. But, um, when I started, I was working full time for somebody else and either reviewing on weekends and nights or taking vacation time, however you need to work it out with an employer. But, um, really the first real benefit to doing a grant review is seeing things from the other side and knowing the process that applications take whenever they're received by the federal agency and seeing how it all kind of plays out and how um, thoughtful the scoring process really is. I think it's easy for us on the writing side of things and and submission to say it just goes into a black box (laughs) and it, it, it automatically generates some numbers and, <laughs> and spits them back out. And whoever got like a hundred wins. Um, and that feels that way. It certainly does, it feel, does like that. feel that black way. Hole. It really does feel that way. And so um, it gives you at least that perspective of, and, and I always say like, if you, if there is experience that a, an agency is looking for and your program people have it and you don't tell your program people to do a grant review because mm. It, they will get one a different perspective on on putting the application together, and it makes your life as a grant professional a lot easier. Um, but two, it also keeps them from constantly uh, emailing, calling, stopping by your office, sending you texts. Did we get it? Did we get it? Did we get it? Because <laughs> um, then once they've seen their process, they get it, and they yeah. know like, okay, that deadline was there for a reason as to when they were going to announce recipients. So. Um, Understanding that whole process from the other side is really the the biggest benefit. I would say that um, that my grant applications significantly changed uh, after mm, I, I did really? my first review in terms of how detailed, but also how structured it was. Because I'm like, I am never going to send a reviewer on a goose chase for an answer to a question ever again. And you would think, you gotcha. know, like go doing grant writing forever in a day, you would know that. Um, <laughs> But it just brings it to the front of your mind whenever you're uh, going through that process. And then um, then the second one really is, uh, well, you do get paid. And depending <laughs> on the agency, and again, it depends, um, you would get paid per application. And so some, you know, are a few hundred dollars per application that re- you review and you may review up to 10. And so the, the amount that you might get compensated for differs among different programs, but there is that compensation element too. And, and, you know, the first review that you ever do, if you like had to calculate how much you get paid an hour, um, 
is <laughs> relatively minimal. But once you get into a rhythm and know how you are as a reviewer and how you structure your time, um, you become more efficient like you would at anything else. So, um, but the biggest benefit is the quality of your applications changes. So what would an average time after you've hit your stride, say maybe the first time you're reviewing for a particular agency, you open that first application and it may take you a couple of hours just to kind of figure out how things work maybe. But then once you hit your stride, how long would it take per proposal on an average? I know each grant is different. Each grant cycle is different. But if you were just giving us a ballpark about that. Well, I would say like for... um the one that I just did for the Ohio Department of Ed, um, the actual uh, narrative that we were looking at was about, I don't know, three or four pages because it was, you know, electronic format. Oh, and okay. Yeah. And so it's hard to judge really how long it was because it's teeny tiny print. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Ohio. And um so after I kind of got into the groove, read the first one, and they actually have a calibration one for you to read before you even get put on a panel kind of thing. Okay. Um, okay. So they gave you that kind of test, and they actually paid you to do the calibration one. And that one took me um, maybe an hour and a half, two hours. And then um, once I kind of got into stride for that program, it's usually about an app, an hour for every application. The only time where it's taken me more than an hour is when – um, it requires so many comments because of how many points it didn't receive. So, so in other um, words, the bad ones are probably going to take more than the yes, well-written ones. Correct. Um, yes. The, uh, the ones that would struggle to achieve funding, um, are the <laughs> ones that one score lower until you have to point out every weakness. And so it, it takes time to write out those weaknesses of everything that they missed, uh, than the ones who, um, did really well and are, are matching up with the scoring criteria perfectly and there are no weaknesses and you can easily point the strengths because they directly answer the scoring criteria and what was required in the RFP. So, so those are the grants that Amanda and I write. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm <laughs> no sorry. funding for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, and what's interesting is something Kimberly and I have been talking a lot about lately, we um, both recently had the opportunity to do a review process through um, the 21st Century Community Learning Centers program, which is, you know, five years of after school tutoring and enrichment. But in the, the struggle for me is the ones that are written very well, they clearly have a need. I mean, they are demonstrating a need, but the ones that are typically don't necessarily answer all the questions the right way. Their data, though, usually points to an even greater need. So Agreed. you've got this disparity between it's like, OK, based on the scoring rubric, I know where the money's going to go. And need is still there. But it's like part of my heartstrings are pulled of, oh, I wish I, I there's got to be a better way. You know, this process is kind of sometimes stacked against those who need the most. Yes. And I know I've struggled with that yep. as a reviewer. Agreed. And so I guess you just have to put on that hat of. I went through the training from the funder and we've got to do what they say, but at the same time too, it's like, how can we make this an even better Mm. process? And I don't know the answer. I don't know. There is a bigger, there's a bigger sort of issue at work than the people who need the money the most are often those who are least able to afford to either hire a consultant or hire a full-time grant writer. So that's just sort of a little above and beyond peer reviewing, but that's certainly a place where you've, I've learned about that as a grant 
writer and developer, sort of seeing that from the other side, like you said. I, I also want to interject for anyone who is not who might be as boneheaded as I am. Um, <laughs> I wasn't I, trying to call you out when I brought this up, but I I'm, I'm here. I'm coming. here. I'm here for you. I'm not afraid. So um, I also signed up and went through the training process. Ours was unpaid. Uh, the no. training process. Yes. The training process was unpaid. Right. Amanda got excited for a second, but, but um, to be, to review this for, for, as they say, Godot, the Georgia department of education, Ooh. and you fill out um, a form and an application and you disclose, you know, are you an employee, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so sh- long story short, I married to a public school teacher and that wasn't a question that was asked on the form but that's really something I should have known. And I, I mean, you could argue whatever, what you have, or judge me, whatever. But, um, and I was like midway, well, I wasn't quite midway through the process. Um, and I had a lot, I had some applications that were challenging, but they weren't from his school district. And then there was another form that you had to fill out to move on to a next level or something. Yeah. And then they asked that question and I was like, oh Yeah that makes perfect sense that you wouldn't want me to review grants when my husband is also considered a state employee and, and in school teacher. And so not a good fit. So all that to say, my children make sure (laughs) that when you sign up as a grant reviewer, conflict of interest, well, and you know what, you may not get all the questions right up front in the application process, but you, you yourself can think about these things. And had I paused for a millisecond, I would have realized it. So lesson learned and boneheadedness somewhat resolved and we're moving on <laughs> and then moving it, on. that does make it harder, at least for state level. Um, but for federal, uh, usually like if you're in the Southeast, they give you like Southwest or North. Sure. Sure. Um, but yeah, for state, it is kind of hard. And so, um, they, at least for the, so I also did Ohio's 21st century learning centers. Mm-hmm. Um, that was the DOE one that I, I just did, but, um, as well. And there was one that I had to review this year that I worked on their application like two years ago. Mm-hmm. And so, so yeah, that one was so. where I was kind of like, well, I'm far enough removed now. And, and so there wasn't really that conflict of interest, but sure. there were a couple where I was like, mm, no, okay, I'm good. Yeah. But definitely identifying it and letting them know as soon as you see it. Which I did, which I did. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure there was consternation, but we were, I think we were mutually embarrassed. I certainly was embarrassed. I can't speak for them. Oh, I'm sure it happens all the time. Yeah. yeah. Well, I had a, and th- this year to going through that grant, cause I've reviewed for them for about six or seven years now. Um, it was interesting. I had the same, a same applicant that I had had the year before oh. the year before was, and I remember it stuck out cause it was so poorly written. And so when I saw them on my list, I was like, Oh, it's going to be another painful process. Womp, womp. They had improved tremendously. Oh, so it was kind of exciting to see an applicant that clearly took some comments and it's, you know, it's not just me. Um, and, and that'd be another good question too. So when we're talking about reviewing, most things I'm assuming aren't taking just your one score, Erica, and that determines right. the funding, right? So <laughs> what's the typical process for federal review? How many people are involved? How does the scoring work? Yeah. Can you give us some insight there? So um, at least all the ones that I've participated in so far, there are on one panel. So a whole uh, set of reviewers, if you will, gets uh, about 10 applications. And that usually consists of three reviewers and a chair. Um, the chair does not review. They just kind of manage some of the process. 
Um, So three people will read the application independent of each other, put in their scores and their comments. And then uh, after all their scores and comments are in for, say, one application, they would do a consensus call. And essentially anything that's usually a difference in score, uh, depending on the agency, two or three or more, Mm -hmm. um, you have to work it out. And sometimes that's super easy and it's a, hey, I saw this and you know what? You're right. I didn't see it when I read it. I was reading at 12 o'clock at night in my PJs. Mm -hmm. I didn't, I totally (laughs) missed that. I'll, I'll fix my score. No problem. Then there are the rare times that you do get the debate around. Is it a four or is it a two? (laughs) And, um, and those are the ones that, that is, I'm thankful that there's a chair involved because they kind of mitigate that process. And I've, I've done both the panel, uh, panel, uh, reviewer, uh, position, but also the the chair position. And thankfully I didn't have any of that the last time I did that of, of people who just could not come to consensus at all. But, um, I wouldn't, I wouldn't go so far as to say you have to defend your score, but you have to, um, at least be able to point to where you got the information from sure. the score that you gave. Um, so you pull those three individuals, their scores, and then, um, all of that gets sent in, uh, as long as there are no discrepancies, um, like you gave it a, a strength when you gave it a score of a zero, uh, then it, mm. it's considered finished. Um, but there is an, kind of a process of you, you turn it in, you talk about it, you get your application back, you correct anything, you turn it back in, hopefully mm. there's no problems, and then it's considered done on that one. And that's just one application. So you have to do that for all applications across the board. And usually that's within, um, a two week window if you're lucky. Um, wow. That's yeah. a lot to do into it. No wonder you were taking vacation time when you were. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, no, this, and your brain hurts. Um, <laughs> it's just it, like, ugh. it really is. It is kind of, ex- it, to me on some hand, it's a little harder to be on the other side, you know, mm. just because you do, you do have to be able to justify and you do have to articulate comments that are going to either tell them, yes, you did really great here and here's why, or this is why I gave you a low score because you were missing this, this, and this. And it's without being, you know, you can't be rude and you've got to, you've got to be thoughtful. <laughs> you and can't just write this stinks. No, you can't. The end. Yeah. <laughs> That's not, sometimes and, and you feel like it. Because people actually can get their comments back. The whole point yes, of this, yes. right, is to be able to send, certainly federal in most state. Now for yes. private foundations, yeah. private funding, you're out of luck. that's another animal altogether. But speaking of that, I also wanted to say if people are listening and they're like, yeah, I don't have hours and hours to spend on a federal review panel or something like mm-hmm. that. Maybe there's some local foundations and certainly a lot of the United Ways, yes. certainly the one in, in Metro Atlanta, they'll have community volunteers, they call them, that assist in the competitive grant process. Mm -hmm. They make the site visits and do those kinds of things. And that can also be a good way to wade into those waters on a local level. Mm -hmm. That's true. Absolutely. And I don't know how Ohio does theirs, Erica, but the Georgia Department of Ed, you get your set of applications. And I think I've had as few as nine and as many as 15. Mm -hmm. Um, And we have usually three, three and a half weeks to review them. But there is no talking with other people. It's just Mm -hmm. five five individuals are given the same set of applications. We all score. And what they do is they throw out the low and the high and the average the three in the middle. Oh, wow. So there's no talking amongst the group. 
So the only, and it was very interesting um, on Ohio's because they did three. And if they had any scores that were uh, two or more points difference, then they asked you to um, come to consensus by email and phone call if you absolutely had to. And of all the 10 applications I had, we only had one among the three people that read them, only one. And even at that, it took us, you know, just a couple emails to to get things kind of ironed out. And then uh-huh. a couple people that I know that also did the same review, just different panels, they had none. Hmm. Um, so it it kind of is a little bit of consensus anyway in terms mm-hmm. of how well the scoring went. Mm-hmm. Um, but to your point of the the comments, that's the thing that I try to remember as the grant reviewer and putting myself back into the grant professional shoes of saying any feedback that I can get and use. So anything where I can say, you know, this was a weakness because maybe consider X, Y, Z. You don't have to, but I like to, because I know I would prefer comments like that as well. Well, absolutely. As you pointed out, it's a great way to learn to make it stronger and better the next time. But I would also like to point out that it doesn't really sound like, and it hasn't been my experience, that being a grant reviewer is like a really great retirement plan or no. get rich quick <laughs> yeah, scheme. No. Um, but it is something at, at these larger agencies, federal and state, there is the possibility for at least getting some compensation for part of your time. But I think more importantly, it's just a good way for you to grow as a grant writer and ultimately mm-hmm. raise more money and do more good. Yep. Yeah, Absolutely. Was there anything that we forgot to ask? Remember, I about the I can be boneheaded, um, <laughs> and that you would like to share with folks about becoming a reviewer. I know you mentioned you just kind of need to go search out the different agencies, federal agencies, and apply. Is there a, a an application? Is there somewhere that's a little more centralized where people can there go? Is. Unfortunately, no, it's federal. There is not like being a reviewer. So it's all department by department. And so that's one thing that I would say is that it takes a lot longer than you would anticipate or think that it takes Mm -hmm. uh, to get into the system. And so the earlier you can apply to the individual federal agencies, I mean, Mm -hmm. there's only 26, so pick a few. Um, (laughs) and, and, and so it does take longer. Um, And then, and of course, there's no centralized thing. But once you're in each uh, department's system, if you will, uh, that is streamlined. So, you know, for Department of Ed, I never go out of the G5 system. And, you know, same thing for uh, CNCS or the Corporation for National Community Service. They have their own system. And so all I have to do is regularly update my uh, information, my availability um, so it's kind of segmented, but still streamlined once you stay in one department. Okay. Um, and honestly, like I, the one thing, at least as a, as a tip is spend more time than you think you need on the RFP and the criteria. Um, because the more you're familiar with it, the easier it is sure. to review and comment rather than going back and forth, like having to flip. And and for anybody that does it strictly electronically, I know people who have printed out their whole applications to review because they're paper people. They're tree-killing um, people. They're I tree don't know killing. how I feel about that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just kidding. Okay. Um, but, um, I, I have to admit, I don't, but just because they are, like some of the applications I reviewed are like 100 pages, and when I'm doing 10 of them, oh, that's a lot. That's a but lot. it is, I mean, it can be hard to read on a screen all the true time. That, so I, I can appreciate yeah. 
the comfort level there. The trees yeah, are weeping. I can oh, hear them no. now. Right. Oh, help us. And I have had to like, they've had applications actually physically uh, FedEx to me. Oh. Then we read them, score them, and we physically FedEx the applications back with you oh. know, all of our notes and anything that's written on them. Um, and the other thing I would say too is create like a separate Word document that has, um, I wouldn't say standard comments, but something that you think you, you know, you find across like strengths or weaknesses Mm -hmm. um, to at least use as kind of a place to start, like the simple strengths and weaknesses, especially around like budget narrative and budget and things like that. Um, They either have it or they don't kind of stuff. It Mm -hmm. makes your life a little bit easier in terms of cutting and pasting where it's applicable, I will say. Well, Erica, thanks so much. It was lovely to hear from you. And we hope that everyone learned a thing or two about the value of sitting on the other side of the grant proposal today. Agreed. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me. Thank you again to our season two sponsor, D.H. Leonard Consulting and Grant Writing Services. We appreciate their support in making grants less stressful. Visit their website, www.dhleonardconsulting.com to learn more. Remember, there is no specific college degree in grant writing or fundraising, but there are a lot of good people with experience to share, training programs, and other ways to learn. We'd love for this podcast to be one of your favorite ways to learn. We sure would. So stay tuned for upcoming episodes this season, including our next topic, which is conference planning. Mm. That's right. Whether you're in charge of training for your own organization or something on a larger scale, this is a can't-miss discussion, as they all are, right? Don't miss any of them, y'all. Listen <laughs> now, listen often, and tell your friends. And don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for listening. Bye.